0: Uh, we do want to say happy Mother's Day um, to all of the moms. We're um, just grateful that you chose to spend some of your time with us this morning uh, as we worship together, um, and we're just going to jump right in. We've got a lot um, to get through, and it's Mother's Day, and it would be really mean of me to keep you late on Mother's Day. I mean, I'll do it, but I want to acknowledge up front that it's going to be mean of me, and I know that, and so... I'm sorry, and later we're going to talk about forgiving, and you have to. So, um, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles up to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to be looking at verses 5 through uh, 18. And what's been happening is we've gotten to this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, What's been happening is Jesus is now talking to his followers about... If you have a right heart, then your religious behavior ought to look like these things, right? And so, I think I might be a little echoey. Um, and so, the idea here is is not that you need right behavior to be approved by God. It's going to let that sink in. Should really live there for a second. You don't need right behavior to be approved by God. That's not the point that Jesus is making when he's talking about these things that you're supposed to do. What he's saying, though, is that your behavior, listen now, your behavior will be a litmus test for your heart. And if your heart is right, then your behavior will come out a certain way. And if your heart is wonky, then your behavior is going to then betray you, right? Your behavior will tell the truth about what's going on in your heart. We know that. We know that's true. Your your behavior tells on you. Like you might harbor things in your heart, and you, and you might try to do certain things in your heart to kind of try to get by, right? Like Like you're just trying to act in a certain way and try to get away with things or try to present a certain kind of personality or present a certain kind of behavior. But eventually, what's in your heart is going to leak out of you. Your behavior will tell on you. That's the point Jesus is making. And so he's saying, look, we talked about the Beatitudes and where the blessings really come from. We, We talked about the laws and what the laws of the Old Testament were really intended to do. And what was at the heart of those? And we've been trying to get back to the heart. Now, if your heart is right, then be careful of the kind of behavior that comes out of you. And and he's talked about a couple of different things, and this week we're going to talk specifically about prayer. Here's the deal with prayer. As Christians, we inherently know that we ought to pray. Like, I've never met a Christian who was confused about whether or not they were supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to pray. But... I've met a lot of Christians who are confused about what to pray or why they pray. What good are our prayers? Do our prayers even matter? I mean, we're told, we're told that we're supposed to, we're supposed to pray big, bold prayers. And it's true, but why? We're we're told that we're supposed to pray for specific things. And that's true, but why? We're we're told that, that if I have faith, that I can ask for things in God's name, and those things will happen. But sometimes they don't. Right? And so we're left to wrestle a little bit with exactly what good is prayer? What's the point of prayer? And, and there's, there's two ends of this spectrum. You get on the deterministic end, you say, listen, God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, God is going to get what God wants. And if that's the case, right, and the Bible does say that God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign, but if God is sovereign and God is going to get exactly what God wants, then why do I need to pray? What's the point of my prayer, right? God's going to do what God's going to do anyway, so why should I bother? And then some people will say, well, it's just so that your heart will align with God's heart. Okay, well then why do I pray for things? Why don't I just pray, God, show me your heart, help me to believe what you believe, help me to want what you want. But the Bible tells us to pray for things. How does that work? And on the other end of the spectrum, way over here, uh, we get this idea that everything is up for grabs. And, and, and that God is always responding to prayers. And, and if we don't pray, then nothing happens. And so that's why we're taught to pray big, bold prayers. We pray for people. We pray for marriages. We pray for individuals. We pray for health. We pray for all of these things. And, and so we, we have these two ends of the spectrum, and we wonder what exactly is right. And so here's the deal. The answer may shock you. The answer is both of them. You're like, well, Matt, how can they both be right? Welcome to the tension of Christianity. This is is true so many times in Scripture, right? That, That we know God will act. But we, right, are part of His plan and process to bring that action to fruition. And so here's what we know. The Bible is ridiculously clear about these things. We know unequivocally that God is absolutely sovereign. That means if God has willed it, it will happen. We also know unequivocally that the Bible shows us that God calls on his people to beseech him in prayer and that that prayer changes things. And we live in the middle of that and there's tension there. And we just have to be okay with the tension. And we're actually going to see as we get into the text today how some of this will play out. But we have to be okay with the tension. I have to be okay with understanding that God is sovereign. He is in absolute control. And at the same time, he says to me, Matt, if you want it, if it's godly, pray for it. Because it won't happen unless you do. Listen, it's Mother's Day. Moms, you, a lot of you have that heart, right? Your heart breaks in prayer for your kids and your grandkids. I know it does. I know it does. You pray for them. You pray. You pour yourselves out on their behalf. Why? Because God tells you to. Because it matters. And that doesn't challenge us sovereignty. It works together. We'll see. All right. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. Matthew 6. When you pray, this is Jesus now. He's talking uh, again. Last week he introduced this idea of, listen, if, if your heart is right, you won't act like a hypocrite. Because Jesus saved his harshest rebuke for religious hypocrites. Jesus hated their hypocrisy. Hated their hypocrisy. We hate religious hypocrisy. We hate religious hypocrisy for two reasons. When people are religiously um, hypocritical, right, it, it causes us two problems. One is it makes the rest of us look bad right? When somebody acts in a religiously hypocritic way, and usually they're really loud about it, right? It's look at me, look at me, and and, and they're acting in this way. And all it does is turn people off to faith. It doesn't draw anybody in. It pushes them away. And if you've struggled with faith, you probably know what I'm talking about. You probably know some religious hypocrites that have made this hard for you to do. And so Jesus hated them too. Jesus didn't love religious hypocrites. He rebuked them, and he corrected them, and he chastised them time and time again in Scripture. And he tells us, if your heart is right, you won't act like them. Last week was charity. This week is prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. See, because the hypocrites love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. So says I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will get. See, here's what would happen, right? The leaders of religious law... They would go to very public places, street corners, in the temple courtyards. They would go to a place where everyone would see them, and they would stand in front of everyone, and they would offer their prayers in a very public, very dramatic kind of a way. Why? What was their goal? Well, their goal was for everybody that was passing by to stop and see Everybody that was passing by stopped and said, man, have you seen how good Matt Hans is at praying? I mean, that guy is really good. Do you know how spiritual he must be? I mean, listen, he was just walking down the street and the spirit moved him and he just stopped right in the middle of traffic. He didn't care who was around, right? And he just started praying these long, loud, eloquent prayers so that everybody would look at him and see, wow, that guy is really awesome. But God says, I know your heart. I know better than that. You didn't stop in the middle of traffic because the spirit moved you to pray in that moment. You stopped in the middle of traffic because then everybody would have to notice you. So I tell you the truth, they get their reward. That's all the reward they'll get. What was their reward? Well, the reward was wanting to be seen. So guess what? They win. That's what they get. There's no spiritual benefit to prayer. If I'm praying that God will save my child, that God will bring my child home, but I'm doing it in this demonstrative way, God says, I'm not going to move on that prayer. That wasn't really what your heart wanted. Your heart really wanted to be seen. And you already got that. So good on you. This is the problem. Remember hypocrites as actors. He says, stop acting. Stop acting like you're spiritual. Stop acting in these ways because I won't deal with it. See, and what happens, what happens here? is that historically, the Jews that Jesus is talking to, they were so steeped in serious prayer. The Jewish faith, go back to the Old Testament, read through the law, it is so steeped in serious, consequential prayer. Prayer mattered. But over the centuries, they'd started to develop some weird habits about prayer. And there are some churches that do this, too. Right? And so we have to be real cautious. There are five that, that really started to be overwhelmingly problematic for the Jews. One is that their prayers had become hyper-ritualized. The fancy word for that is liturgical. Now, there's nothing wrong with liturgical prayer. Some of you have come from church backgrounds that are very liturgical, and it's okay. Right? Some of you are visiting here with your mom this morning, and maybe you go to a church that's hyper-liturgical. That's cool, too. But what had happened is, over time, the prayers had become very ritualistic, The problem with ritualized prayer is that if I'm not really careful, there's no heart in it. I'm just saying the same thing I always say. When was the last time you said grace before a meal? That's not a trick question. This morning, before I had a muffin. Thank you. Okay, right? We say grace before we eat. Why? I mean, why do you say grace before you eat? Did you really stop what you were doing? Did you really stop what you were doing and say, oh my Lord God, how great are you? I deserve nothing. Yet you sustained me today with this food. You have blessed me beyond measure. I, I, I am nothing. I'm not worth you thinking about me and pouring all of your grace out on me. But here, just in this provision, you're showing me how much you care about me and love me. Thank you so much, Father. Or did you hurry up before you took a bite and say, God is good. God is great. Let us thank Him for this food. Amen. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. Or whatever version you use at your house. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest, gets the most. Amen. Right? This is exactly what happens. We have this ritualistic thing that we go through, right? But in going through this ritual, okay, it's not bad, but it's not good either. We've just lost the heart of connecting with God. The more ritualized prayers become, the more we are in danger of losing the heart behind it. Because it just becomes something we do. It's rote. We say it. Some of you are in danger of that. When you sing songs in the morning, you're just singing songs because it's what we do. You're not really focusing and fixated in digging into the word. There were prescribed prayers. This is another thing they did. There were prescribed prayers for every object, right? So light, we have a prayer for that. Dark, we have a prayer for that. Traveling mercies, we got one, right? Oh, somebody's sick. Yeah, we got one. We could pull it out. So never was it just my heart pouring itself out to God, but it was, oh, wait, let me flip to page 33. I've got a prayer for that. Oh, wait, this happened. Let me, let me uh, page 62, I've got a prayer for that. It was never just, God, hear my heart. Moved away from that. They were limited to times and locations. Long prayers especially were esteemed. See, the logic in the Jewish faith had gotten to be, it wasn't initially, but it had gotten to be to this point where if my prayer was longer, that proved to God that I was serious and he should listen to me. So they esteemed prayers that were much, much longer, and they had gotten in a really bad habit of meaningless repetition over and over and over again, most likely to make their prayers longer. And God says, listen, stop being like the hypocrites. When he says hypocrites, he's talking about the religious leaders. He's talking about these things. Stop doing it like that. Because when you do it like that, you get the reward that you were after. You wanted to be noticed? Good. You got noticed. That's it. That's all the benefit there is. And there is so much more value in prayer than being noticed. When I was younger, and I was just starting to get serious about my faith, I started going to Wednesday night prayer meetings at Bethany. Right? Wednesday night prayer meetings at Bethany. Because only super spiritual people go to Wednesday night prayer meetings at Bethany. Right? So I was in. I was like, man, I want to show you all that I'm super serious. And I go to prayer meetings at Bethany and, and people would pray. And we'd we'd huddle up, and we'd pray together, and we'd pray for big, bold, awesome things. And I think God was pleased with most of the people that prayed there, except me. Because while other people were praying big, bold prayers of faith, that God would move and do glorious things, and they were were bringing it, and it was awesome, and I was sitting over here thinking, what will I say when it's my turn? Because I want it to sound good. So I wasn't listening, and I wasn't praying in agreement, and I wasn't participating. I was acting. I was like, what will my script be when it's my turn to pray? And I'll know I delivered it really well. Listen, listen, you know how when you're 26, you know when you nailed it, when you're praying in public? When the old wise women of faith go, uh-huh, and the mature men of faith say, amen, Right? So that's what I was praying for. I was praying for ahas and amens from the people I'm sitting around. I didn't care if God was pleased with my prayers. I was praying for them, and guess what? I got exactly what I wanted. Did I get spiritual value from those prayers? No, not according to Jesus. So I tell you the truth, man. That's the reward you get. That's what you wanted. He says, but instead, when you pray, do this. Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, some of you are going, haha, I knew I was right to hate praying in front of people. Stop it. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. You're like, Matt, I know English. That's what he's saying. No, no, no. The heart of this, though, isn't to say don't pray in public. Jesus teaches them to pray in public. Jesus prays for them in public. Right? Public prayer is not the issue. The issue is heart. Listen, if you wouldn't pray it privately by yourself, then you have no business praying it publicly. Right? Because then it's an act. But if it's my heart that I will pour out privately to God, and it's my heart that I will pray an intercession for you, right? And that's what's in my heart. Then, then great. Pray it privately. Pray it publicly because it's about me and I'm interceding to God and I'm asking for him. I'm recognizing him and asking him to bless things. Fine. But if it's like, well, I'm not going to do that in private because nobody will hear it. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't honor that. Keeps going, All right? And he says, and when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again, but don't be like them, right? For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And so at this point, Jesus is saying, look, look, it's not a matter of fanciness. It's not a matter of saying the right words. It's not a matter of repeating things over and over again. The pagans at the time, and this is a pagan thing, they would, they would go before. You could read about this uh, when, when you read about um, Elijah in the, the the prophets of Baal and the showdown on Mount Carmel in the Old Testament, right? All they do is walk around chanting nonsense and cutting themselves and doing all of these things because they think that doing these things will get God to take them seriously, right? And the Jews have kind of adopted some of that ridiculousness, right? And so their goal was to to just stretch out these prayers and to be frantic and to be excited. And this is where people get really loud. And listen, I don't care if you get really loud when you pray, but get really loud when you pray because you get loud when you pray. Don't get loud when you pray because, well, if I'm loud, God will really listen to me. Right? Use fancy language when you pray. But don't use fancy language when you pray because my fancy language will really help God listen to me. Use fancy language because that's how you talk. I've used this example before, but, but man, think about any of my kids when they were young, right? And they had a bad dream. And they would either cry out or they'd come to the bedroom, right? Will you sit with me? Can I sleep with you? Will you, whatever. And I just want it to be heartfelt, right? But I wrote this down because, I mean, what would it be like if my kids went like this? Like in normal everyday conversation, they're just talking to me like normal. But in the quiet, stressful hours of the night, when they've been awoken by a nightmare, can you hear Travis? Oh, dearest father of the household. Giver and protector of my life, I beseech thee to come to my aid at the most dire hour. For the night is long, and the shadows creep ever closer. The apparitions that find themselves ever present in my dreams stir a quickening of the heart and a racing of the pulse. Please bring me to the peace that comes from the nearness of your presence. No, I, I, I think what we're looking for is Travis to come in and say, "Hey, I had a bad dream, and I'm scared." Will you sit with me? Will you give me some comfort? Like, like, will you lay with me? Why do we act so weird with God? He's our Father in heaven. All He wants is our heartfelt connection. That's all He wants. All He wants is for you to talk to Him from your heart. See, prayer isn't really that complicated. It's just conversation. Oh, Mighty, magnificent, omnipotent, omnipresent, holy father. That's fine. You want to pray that way, pray that way. But you know what else works? Oh, God in heaven, right? Creator, sustainer of all things. I say that one a lot, right? Like, oh God, you are big and holy and you love me. Like God just wants our heartfelt connection. I'm just saying, pray how you want to pray, but you don't need something special. And if it's not something you would do in private, you certainly don't need to do it in public. I don't care how many ahas or amens you're going to get. How do you pray in the quiet of your own room? Is it informal? Is it just you and God? Nobody's listening, nobody's caring. It's just you and God. You're just talking. That's all He wants from you in public. He doesn't want something else, something special in public. He wants the same thing you would give Him in private just your heart. It's all he wants. And so he says, don't pray like them. Instead, pray like this. And he gives us this thing we know as the Lord's Prayer. And he's just said that, that we don't necessarily need to use fancy language, and it doesn't need to be um, wrote, and it doesn't need to be liturgical, or those things. And so it's not like he's saying, hey, when you pray, you must use these words. He's saying, pray like this. Not exactly this, but pray with this spirit and this intention and this heart. So he starts by saying, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. He starts just by saying, hey, when you pray, you're praying to your father in heaven and you just recognize that he alone is your father and he alone is holy. Now we've talked before, if you want to pray to Jesus, pray to Jesus. You want to pray to the Holy Spirit, pray to the Holy Spirit. But the model of prayer that we see most frequently in Scripture is these prayers to our Father in heaven. God, our Heavenly Father, you alone are holy. And you know what? The fact that Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father teaches us something important. And and what it teaches us, listen, is that there is a clear, distinct audience for your prayer. And it's yes, nobody else. Nobody else but God. And if you feel alone, neglected, left out, isolated, if you feel like everybody else has abandoned you, not God. Jesus says there is a God in heaven, your Father in heaven who is waiting to hear from you. When you pray, pray like this. Oh, my heavenly father, because he's there. You are holy. You are above everything else. And yet you are there ready to listen. And then Jesus throws in this thing that that we got to land on for a second. He says, uh, when you pray, you're praying to your father in heaven who is holy. And you're saying, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we have to live here for a second because there's some tension that we have to deal with. And this, again, has to do with the sovereignty of God. I said we'd see it as we unpack the text, and here's where we have to wrestle with this. He says, okay, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? What we're saying is, is God, we're praying that your will, your desire, your purpose will happen in this place just like it happens in the heavenly realms. Right? We know from Scripture that that, that The kingdom of this age is not God's. The kingdom of this age is demonic and satanic, right? We know that there is a heavenly kingdom and we're saying, God, your kingdom, your heavenly kingdom, we want to see that come here, right? We want to see it be fulfilled, right? Jesus brings it and now he says, we want to see it be fulfilled, right? What we're saying is there is something evil happening. There is something that is outside of your will, and we, through our prayer, want to see your will happen more fully. So the question is, right, is God's will always done? And the answer to that is no. And I know, but just listen, some of you are like, well, that's blasphemy. Get him off the stage. How dare he say such things on Mother's Day? I know, but listen, it's going to be okay. Here's the reality though. The very fact that Jesus tells us to pray that his will be done on earth indicates that God's will is not always done on earth. He's asking us to pray that his will will be done because his will is not always done. His will is not inevitable. In fact, the Bible teaches us that in God's wise and gracious plan, our prayer, listen, oh my goodness, our prayer is essential To the proper working of God's divine will on earth. Our prayer makes a difference. If you don't pray, then we're missing out on some of God's will. You're like, Matt, show your work. Okay, I will. Think of it just in this grand way God does not desire death, God doesn't desire death, death happens right the fact that death happens actually causes jesus or causes god to send jesus to die on a cross to deal with death once and for all death was not in his will yet god sent his son to deal with death because he didn't want it right but god's will cancer and if you've ever lost someone of cancer or you've ever struggled with cancer yourself and and somebody told you well that was just part of god's plan let me apologize on their behalf. God didn't cause your cancer. God doesn't do that. He not teaching anybody a lesson by touching them with cancer. The horrific car crash, the tragic thing, those aren't God's will. We live in a broken, broken world. And in a broken world, broken world things happen. We are really in danger if we start to say, well, you know what? That's part of God's plan. No. God did not plan for tragedy. You're like, well, okay, then why does it happen? Well, okay, let's get into this. There are two kinds of God's will. Two kinds. One, God's will of purpose. God's will of purpose is fixed and it will never not happen. God's will of purpose is this large, unfolding, sovereign plan that embodies all of the universe. That includes heaven, it includes hell, it includes earth, it includes your ancestors, it includes you, and it includes your children and your children's children and all of them. This is God's will, and it includes the entire universe. It's in God's will of purpose that he allows sin to run its course, and that he allows Satan to have his way for a season. It's in God's will of purpose that bad things will happen that God does not want to happen, that he does not desire to happen, because we live in a fallen, broken world. God did not want Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. That was not his desire. But God will deal with sin, and that is for sure. See, God's will of purpose means that everything will end the way that God intends it to end. God's will of purpose brought Jesus to the cross. God's will of purpose caused Jesus to be resurrected. God's will of purpose will one day have Jesus return to judge the quick and the dead. God's will of purpose will create a new heaven and a new earth and he will reign, and we will be with him. It says that there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and God is with his people, and his people will be with him. That is God's will of purpose. It will come to pass. Nothing, nothing, nothing will change it. But God's will of desire is different. God's will of desire is completely consistent with his will of purpose. God's will of desire, though, is not always fulfilled. God desires that when people marry, they stay married. What does God tell us in Malachi? I hate divorce. People get divorced. God loves righteousness. People act in unjust, unrighteous ways. It is not in God's will of purpose that human trafficking be a thing. Human trafficking is a thing. And it's tragic and it's awful. But it wasn't part of God's plan. It is not within his will of desire that those things happen. What does Jesus say? He says, O Jerusalem, how long I have desired to gather you together. Like a mother with her children, I've desired to gather you together, but you wouldn't. But you wouldn't come. He's like, This was my desire, but you refused. His will of desire went unmet. God desires that churches stay pure and true to the Word of God no matter what. Yet, how many churches walk away from the biblical truth? God desires that churches be unified, yet, how many church splits happen? God desires that you walk holy, yet how many times do you intentionally sin? God's will of desire is often unmet, and this is where prayer comes in. Jesus says, so you pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let's see this through prayer come to fruition. This is where our prayers matter right? We need people to respond to the gospel. We need people to reject their evil and come home. We need people to to solidify themselves and strengthen themselves in the Lord and walk in a way that's worthy. All of these things. We need churches to honor God first and foremost. We need all of these things to happen, and they happen through prayer. God's will of desire is sometimes unmet. His will of purpose will always come to fruition. God will redeem his church The bride of Christ, and we will be with him for all of eternity. That will happen. But our lack of praying, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, oftentimes, oftentimes causes this to be not what he desires it to be. So listen to me. Your prayer makes a difference, and it matters. Because I have to. I'm going to give you one more example of this. In the Old Testament, God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, from you, my will of purpose is to create a special nation. We know that is Israel. I'm going to, from you, create a special nation. And from that nation, I'm going to make you my possession and I'm going to teach you the law. And from that, I'm going to bring the Messiah who will reconcile people to God. That is God's will of purpose, and it was going to happen. Yet here's what happened. As soon as they left Egypt, they went to the mountain. Moses went up to get the law from God, and, and right away they started worshiping a golden calf. What's God say? Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. I, I spent the last 500 years growing them into this nation Because I promised, and my will of purpose says it was going to happen. But Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you. And my will of purpose, then, will still be true. Because you still are from Abraham. And I'll start over with your descendants, and I will still have a nation. It'll take 500 more years, but I don't care. That was within his will of purpose. But Moses says, God, no, don't. He prays. He prays that God will relent don't do this thing. Spare them. Have mercy and grace on them. Have pity on them. And so what does God do? He relents. He does not destroy them. See, there's a a will of purpose and a will of desire. Our prayer influences God's will of desire. So when you pray, you do it with purpose, you do it with intention. Moms, you know this you know this. You know, talk, it's Mother's Day, right? Dads, you know it too, but it's Mother's Day, so we'll talk to moms. Moms, you know this. When your heart breaks for your kids and you have big, bold, beautiful prayers for your kids, you're praying for them. You're praying for their faith. You're praying for their future um, spouses. You're praying for their future children. You're praying that they would, (laughs) that they would be everything that God has planned for them. You're praying all of that. Your prayer influences that. Here's the thing. Do you suppose? The answer is yes. I'm going to tell you the answer ahead of time. The answer is yes. Do you suppose there are things that God desires to do that he does not see happen because his people don't pray? Okay, now you're ready. Do you suppose? I had a pastor, Byron, he used to say, the faster you answer, the faster we go home. Do you suppose? Mm. Mm. we can be taught. Here's the thing. There are so many things that God wants to do that we will not see done because we don't take prayer seriously. And that's not a threat. It's not to scare anybody. It's not that it's just simply to say this, God isn't forcing his desires on people. God's will of purpose will happen. That ark is set and it will happen. But he is not forcing his desires onto people. There are so many things that God wants to do that we won't see happen if we don't pray. He says also, give us today the food we need right? Praying for this this wonderful thing. God may give you vision and plans for the future, but his provision, he might give you a plan for the future. His provision is always for today. God says, ask. Ask for your provision for today and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. This is just the gospel in prayer. God, I'm a sinner and there is a debt that I owe you. And that is a debt that I cannot repay. Thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. And then he adds this little twist of the knife in there. The assumption is that you will have forgiven those that have sinned against you as well. And in case that's unclear, he's going to really double down on that in a minute. And he ends the prayer with this, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. He says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one because the temptation, right, is all around us and, 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 and Satan is always trying to trip us up. But he says this, as we're praying that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? God, part of that is me praying that you will keep me strong. The things that I know are wrong, you'll keep me away from them. Satan wants to trick me. He wants to trip me. He wants to have me, but God, make me strong here's the thing, it's his desire to make me strong. And if I'm praying for it and I'm focusing, right, then God will grant that. But if I'm not praying for strength and I'm just doing my thing and I'm like, well, I don't mean to sin today, but I'm never asking God to help me. I'm never thinking about God. I'm never relying on God. I'm just hoping I don't sin today. Guess what? You're going to trip and you're going to sin. He says, pray, ask it, Don't let us fall into temptation, but deliver us, rescue us from the plans of the evil one. That's the Lord's prayer. And we don't pray those words exactly, but that's the model of prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, God, you alone are God. And you ask me to pray to you and you promise to hear me. God, I pray that your kingdom will come. I pray that you will start to transform this place. God, I pray specifically that your will will be done in my life and in the lives of those that I love and care for. I pray for my kids. I pray for their health. I pray that you'll protect them. I pray that you'll bring them to salvation. I pray for the church, that the church would stay on mission, that the church would be pure. I pray that the church will stay rooted in foundational biblical truth. God, I I pray that you'll give us today what we need to live and that you'll help us to be thankful for it. Give us today's provision and help us to trust you, God, that tomorrow you will take care of that then. And God, forgive me of all the ways that I've wronged you. Specifically, here's how I've wronged you and I know it. And God, search my heart to show me if there are any other ways that I've wronged you that I don't even recognize. God, and help me forgive people that have hurt me. Help me not to be bitter and angry and keep me from sin. Protect me from the enemy who wants to have me. I don't care how you pray. I don't care what the words are because they will be different for each person because we're all different. But when Jesus says, pray this way, he is talking about the heart. This is all about religious expression that's coming from your heart. When you pray from your heart, you are asking God for these things and you are recognizing him and you're trusting him. Then he ends the chunk on prayer with this. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. And then he says this really nasty part that if I were writing the Bible, I would have left this out. But turns out I'm not God. And he gets to say what he gets to say. But if you refuse to forgive others, then your father will not forgive your sins. So okay. So we've said this like four or five times throughout this series. Beware of softening the hard things that God puts in scripture when you soften the hard things that God puts in the Bible, you are in danger of misrepresenting or misunderstanding God's directive words to us. He says, if you refuse to forgive others, then your father will not forgive your sins. And you're like, well, Matt, that sounds like work-based salvation. All I have to do is walk around forgiving people and God will forgive me. No, no, no. Listen, you can't earn your salvation. You confess your sins and God is just to forgive you and you are made new in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are born again. You are with God, right? But here's the thing. If that's true, then your heart is new. This goes back to this whole thing. What's in your heart will leak out. If your heart is new, then what will leak out of your heart is forgiveness. The litmus test to know if my heart is new is whether or not I'm ready and willing to forgive other people. If you refuse to forgive people that have hurt you, then it's possible that your heart isn't where it needs to be with Jesus. Because here's why. If you really truly understand the depth of your sin... Because guys, it's bad. It's bad. We have wronged a holy God. And if I truly understand the depth of my sin and I truly fall on my knees before the cross and I cry out to Jesus to take my sin away and he takes it from me and now I am free of it. He took, I mean, listen, I owed him a debt I couldn't pay, and he took it, and he makes me new, and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation, it's all gone. It's all gone. And he says, I'm giving you a new heart. Now go, and out of the overflow of that heart, live a godly Christian life. And I go, and I don't have enough in my heart to be able to forgive people that have hurt me? Like, think about it. They've hurt me this much. I caused Jesus's death on the cross. Perhaps if we, if we can't find it to forgive, we don't really understand the depths of our own sin. And I can't really ask Jesus to forgive me if I can't understand the depths of my own sin. Don't soften this. Live there for a second. If you're harboring unforgiveness, if you're refusing to forgive somebody, you need to deal with that. And it starts with asking Jesus to forgive you so that out of the overflow of that, you can forgive people that have wronged you. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's easy. There are people that I struggle to live out forgiveness with, and I would imagine the same is true for you. He doesn't say, though, if you struggle with forgiving he says, if you refuse. Refusal is a strong word. A Refusal is no, you deserve to be condemned. I will not. As opposed to, I forgive you. Wow, that's really hard. God, keep helping me do it. Keep helping me forgive there's a difference. But he adds this here, not because it's an afterthought, but because he says, look, you want your prayers to matter, right? Then then here's another litmus test. You have to make sure that you're coming from a place that is fully new. I told you we were going to go all the way through 18, but I lied. So if you want to talk to me more about fasting, which I know you do, I know you do. You're like, man, I can't wait to talk about fasting. Then you will have to tune into our podcast and we'll deal with those last three verses in our podcast this week, as we dig deeper into this text, but um, because I love you, and because it's Mother's Day, and because you've got lunch to get to, and Pizza Ranch is open soon, we're going to pray um, and we're going to dismiss you. But but as we <laughs> but some of you picked up on that, as we pray to dismiss you, here's what I'm going to tell you. One more time, your prayer matters. We see it all through Scripture. Your prayer matters. right? I mean, I mean, look, look at just, just the long line of examples that I wrote down just in thinking about this for a second. Abraham, Abraham's servant prayed, and Rebekah showed up. Abraham's servant prays, Rebekah shows up. Jacob wrestled and prayed, and Esau's mind that had been bent for 20 years on revenge all of a sudden shifted to forgiveness. Hannah prayed. Hannah prayed, and God gave her Samuel. Ezekiel prayed, right? And God showed him a vision of the renewal of Israel. Elijah prayed, and God shut the heavens and there was no rain for three years. Elijah prayed again, and it rained. Hezekiah prayed out of desperation because Israel was besieged by 185,000 Assyrian troops. Hezekiah prayed and in 12 hours those troops had turned on each other and killed each other and the city was free. Peter was in jail ready to have his head cut off and the apostles prayed and the prison was magically opened and and Peter walked out. Listen, the Bible is clear that prayer makes a difference. And in God's will of desire, we are called to pray. I don't know what you need to be praying for. I don't know if it's your husband. I don't know if it's your wife. I don't know if it's your children or your parents or your grandchildren. If it's your marriage, if it's your neighbor's marriage or your coworkers that are struggling. I have no idea what it is that you need to be praying for. But listen to me, I promise you, God has things that you ought to be praying for. And in his will of desire, he is for you, but he is not forcing you. So pray. Pray boldly. Pray expectantly. Pray fervently. Heavenly Father, God, you are good, gracious, and kind, and we love you. We thank you for the fact that you desire good for us, God, and that you are pleased to work through our prayers. Help us to be intentional about our prayerfulness. God, thank you for the mothers that are here, um, and even those that are here um, God, women that are here that, that, that maybe have never had their own children, but that provide care and nurture and support and motherly guidance uh, to all of us. God, we thank you for the provision that they are and the blessing that they've been. God, we thank you for who you are, and we ask you to bless us as we go from here. Uh, in particular, bless our family gatherings today as they happen. God, will you be glorified in all of those. We love you and praise you. Amen. Hey, thank you. Go in peace.